Thank you for listening to the Cross Loganville podcast as we continue in our series, 29, the book of Acts. We're in the book of Acts and uh, we're 14 chapters deep, starting in 15. And this is an amazing story as we've been pondering and reading and studying and considering. Uh, we're reading about ordinary people. People just like me and people just like you, just common people, blue-collar people that uh, God used in a powerful way to launch the most powerful movement in human history. And when you read these stories, sometimes it's easy to try to make these people icons or whatever, but they were just normal folks like you and I. And, 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 and there were three main things that was the foundation for this movement. I don't want you to miss this. Three main ingredients, if you will, that were the foundation for this movement. Number one, these people believed that Jesus Christ was Lord. They were convinced that Jesus was authority. He was master. He was God in flesh. So when you look at the early church, they were, they were convinced he is Messiah. The second thing is that they believed that Jesus Christ had been resurrected from the dead. They hung and hinged their faith on the reality of the resurrection of Jesus. And if there be no resurrection, the door of Christianity does not swing. Everything that we hinge our faith on is that Jesus is Lord, Jesus is God, the resurrection is a reality. And the third thing was this, they were empowered by the Holy Spirit. And they became filled with the power and presence of God, which allowed them to be God's witnesses. And so even when uh, the Lord had told them in Acts 1-8, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the remotest parts of the earth. These people believed that Jesus was God. They were convinced that Jesus had raised from the dead, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit, which led them to take action. Now, that being said, we must believe that Jesus is Lord. He is God. We must be convinced that the resurrection of Jesus is the separator from Christianity to all other world religions, and if we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we will take action. We will not sit on the sidelines and just kind of let life pass us by. We will be actively involved in being stewards of the mysteries of God and servants of Christ. So, so as we study the book of Acts, they're constantly being harassed. They're being arrested. They're being persecuted. They're being attacked. They're being beaten. So the, the, the theme, when you study it, is how much turmoil and angst came against this group of people. They were like, man, this is, this is not an easy life. And even Jesus had promised, in this world, you're going to have trouble. You're going to have tribulation. You're going to have pressure. But be of good cheer. I've overcome this world. So they stood strong, and they anchored their faith in Christ. Even when they faced opposition, even when their leaders were thrown in prison, even if it meant I might have to die for this gospel, they were convinced that Jesus Christ is enough, period. And I, I, I want you to think about that. He's enough. So when we study it, I believe God uses this book 
to encourage us to say, are you going to trust me or not? Are you going to anchor your faith and dependence on me alone? Are you going to stay faithful? Are you going to stay focused? Are you going to keep everything Jesus-centered? Or are you going to drift? Now, how they live their lives, I believe, Jesus is God, resurrection, and being filled with the Holy Spirit is the way we are to live our lives. So Jesus being raised from the dead and the power of the Holy Spirit trumps any intellectual argument that man may try to bring our way. Even when you study the life of Peter early on, I mean, it was all these people looking, going, they're uneducated, they're illiterate, they're not that smart, they're not that sharp. And Peter basically looked in the eyes of these guys in Acts 4, and he said, y'all are probably a lot smarter than I am. But one thing I know, Jesus raised from the dead. Bam! That's where he he anchored. So so since we believe, God, God, you're sovereign, you're in full control. You're omnipotent, you're all-powerful. I would pose the question and say, shouldn't that change the way we do life every day? With all the ebbs and flows and with all the turmoil that we see happening in our world, in our country, even around us, shouldn't that change the way we do life? So Acts 29, in a nutshell, it's the stories of a community of Jesus followers who were filled with the Holy Spirit, convinced of the resurrection, taking the gospel, the good news of Jesus, the love of Christ to their world. That's Acts. 29 is what we've titled our series, and we believe that God is wanting to write a new story through you today that's never been written through the power of the Holy Spirit. So 29 is how our community of followers of Jesus, filled with the Holy Spirit, convinced of the resurrection, will take the gospel to our world every day. And we have that opportunity every day. Now, if you would, turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 15, and here is basically what's happening in Acts 15. There was a major problem that could have shipwrecked the church in Acts 15. This is a major, major problem in Acts 15. If these leaders had not handled this problem in a proper way, this could have been catastrophic for the church. And when we pick up this story, you're going to see that there's some heated debates and there's some heated disagreements and people are not necessarily landing in the same space. And and one of the things I want you to know is that Christians have been known to have heated disagreements. And so you, you maybe came from a church where there was disagreements or you might be involved in a disagreement with somebody right now. And Steve, here's what we know. As far back as the early church, even all the way back 2,000 years ago to the book of Acts, Christians have been known to debate some different things. If you look around us today and even look around you, look at how many denominations there are just in our nation I mean, it's insane, is it not? I mean, people who claim to love Jesus have been fighting and debating and splitting for years. Rick, people will split over this issue of tongues. And and you'll have different people break off and go different ways. People will fight and debate when it comes to predestination and election. You'll see splits happening uh, there. You'll see even people fight over translations of the Bible. Should I use the KJV, uh, the New King James, the NIV, the NLT, the message, the ESV? 
those arguments fall apart when you're dealing with a Spanish-speaking person because they don't speak. Uh, it's like, do what? But I've seen so many churches split and fight, and it can discourage us. It can separate us, and it can cause us to take a hit in regards to our faith journey. So diving into Acts 15, I believe it answers some questions like, uh, how do you remain united in the essentials when there's disagreement? That, 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 that's part of Acts 15. Uh, what role should politics play in church? I believe we can gain some principal insight out of Acts 15. Uh, how should I treat personal preference when it's not biblical? Oh, you want to talk about in my 30-some years of walking with the Lord? I've had so many people look at me going, well, brother, I'm just, I'm, I just have a conviction in that area. Well, a conviction better be based on the Word of God and the Holy Spirit. And I've looked at many over the years going, oh, you've got a preference. A conviction is something I'm willing to die for. I'm willing to shed blood over that, but there's so many preferences. And, and we live in this culture now where what is right takes a back seat to an individual needing to be right. <laughs> What's right? I don't know, dude. I'm not willing to go there, but I've got to be right. And in and, and reality is most Christians do not know how to handle conflict very well. They don't know how to handle disagreements very well. Verse 1, Paul and Barnabas were at Antioch in Syria. Some men from Judea arrived and began to teach the brethren. Teach the brethren. Unless you're circumcised as required by the law of Moses, you cannot be saved. Now, a lot of these first century believers, the early church, were Jews, and they had come out of being trained in the Old Testament. And so when you look at this, one of the Jewish laws required that every male be circumcised. Even the covenant that God would make with Abraham, circumcise them after they're born, all males, on the eighth day. And so it was a sign from God for his people to set them apart to say, now, you're Jewish people. You, you, you belong to God. Now, here, here's the tension. What's happening here is that people were starting to tell the Gentile believers that Unless you get circumcised, you can't be saved, creating confusion, tension, and turmoil. And the debate was this, really, how does a person become saved? And the emphasis of what was taking place was, it's Jesus plus other things will lead to salvation. That's the debate happening here. We believe that Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. It's faith in Christ alone. So the debate again is, how does a person get saved? How, how does a person experience salvation? Verse 2, Paul and Barnabas disagreed with them. The issues were highlighted by sharp, heated, intense disputes and debate. The church sent Paul and Barnabas to Jerusalem to talk to the apostles and elders about this question. Please don't, please don't miss this. Please, please don't miss this. They did not try to maintain unity by ignoring honest and hard questions. And I think a lot of times 
We think that if we're going to be this good Christian and be agents of peace, that we're to accommodate whatever. And there's certain issues and topics and doctrinal issues that cannot go negotiated. And there's so many of my brethren out there today that when it comes to hard, honest questions, people are caving in. They're backing away from absolute truth and moral absolutes. And I look going, stop. Paul and Barnabas are on this mission. Paul and Barnabas are out planting churches, sharing the love of Christ. Paul's even writing certain books that we read 2,000 years later. But this issue was so urgent that he's like, man, Barnabas, we, we, we got to hit the road and we need to get back over to Jerusalem because this issue is what constitutes salvation. And if we don't get this one right, it can totally cripple and annihilate the church. Verses 6 through 10, so the apostles and elders met together to resolve this issue. At the meeting, after a long discussion, Peter stood and addressed them as, follower, as follows. He looks at these guys that are teaching that you got to get circumcised in order to be saved, and he makes a statement. He goes, Brother, br- brothers, he's gentle, he's loving, he's connecting with them. Hey, yeah, brothers, uh, you all know how God chose me to preach to the Gentiles so that they could hear the good news and believe the good news? Y- y'all, y'all, y'all know God raised me up to take the gospel to the Gentiles, like Cornelius, that centurion house. Y- 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 y'all know that, right? God knows people's hearts. And he confirmed that he accepts Gentiles by giving them the Holy Spirit just like he did to us. Y'all know that God sent me as a messenger to take the gospel to Gentiles, outsiders, those that have been labeled inferior, and you know what? God wanted them to hear and believe, and when I got there and shared the gospel, they heard and they believed, even were baptized, and the Holy Spirit fell on them just like it fell on us. Listen to this. God made no distinction between us and them. There's no longer terminology of us and them. For he cleansed their hearts through faith. He cleansed my heart through faith. That's the emphasis. So why are you challenging God now? By burdening the Gentile believers with a yoke. Yoke is the teachings of a rabbi. Why are you burdening the Gentile believers with a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors could bear? Why are you trying to to weigh these people down in guilt and shame and condemnation with weights that we couldn't even bear? You remember Moses gave the Ten Commandments, and now by this time, there's like 613 laws they're supposed to follow. And circumcision was one. This is 612 more. He's like, why do you want to weigh them down with weights and burdens that we couldn't even carry? And Paul's basically saying, Loganville translation, I don't know about y'all, but I was born a Jew. And bro, I couldn't keep all those laws. I mean, I was born a Jew. I couldn't keep them all. Anybody want to get honest with me? 
I was always confused about, like, how far can I walk on the Sabbath? It is a half mile or is it, is it two miles? Do I have to wear sandals or can I throw on some Nikes? I, I was always confused about what, what I could eat and what I couldn't eat. I, I was confused modern day on whether I could wear this shirt this morning because Leviticus says that it cannot be mixed fabric. And I think this is about 97 polyester and 3% spandex. <laughs> you see the rub? Guys, I was born a Jew. I was brought up in Judaism. And I, I, I tried, but I never felt like I could measure up and live all these laws. I, anybody else want to be honest? Has anybody else lived in guilt and shame? A, anybody else been beat up with religion? A, 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 anybody else? That's what Peter's saying. Hey, 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 here, here's the argument. Here's the rub. If we couldn't keep all these laws, and it didn't save us anyway, why do we want to burden somebody else down with all these laws and all these weights? Guys, let's get real. The law can save us. Verses 10 through 13. Why are you now challenging God? You're burdening down the Gentiles, these believers that have come to Christ with a yoke that we couldn't, we, we couldn't wear it, we couldn't bear it, we, our ancestors couldn't. We, 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 we believe, we believe we're all saved the same way. That's what we believe. We believe we're all saved the same way. And you know how we're saved, guys? By the undeserved grace of Jesus Christ. You see why this issue is so crucial? Not only with the early church, but with where we're at today. What saves you? God's grace. For by grace I've been saved through faith. It's not of myself. It's not a result of my works. I can't boast about any of it. What saved you, Sheila? What saved you, Mama Kay? It was the grace of God that saved me. What saved you, Cash? Grace of God. Through what saved you? The grace of God. Don't, don't miss it. Don't miss it. Then he says this. So my judgment is this. We should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God Based on the fact that we're saved the same way and we stay saved the same way, and we, we got saved by anchoring our faith in Jesus Christ and the grace of the gospel, why make it difficult for lost people to meet Jesus? Now, that's the issue. Difficult in the Greek there means why would you trouble, why would you throw something in the path and cause them to trip why would you hinder another person from getting to Jesus? Why, why, why are we doing that? Why, why are we saying that only Jesus saves and then we're creating all this guilt and shame on other people? Why do we mistreat the gospel? Why are we confusing people? And that, that's the issue. And I think that happens at times. It's like, why do we make it difficult for people who have no clue about the gospel and they're unfamiliar with Christianity, but we permit this crazy church jargon 
to be like expressed in terminology and people are sitting there like scratching their heads. Why don't, why don't we permit that? I had a guy tell me not long ago that God had revealed to him that he was in a new season and he was walking into his new destiny in the anointing. I'm like, Bubba, I have no clue what you're talking about. <laughs> you ever heard that kind of terminology that God revealed, new season, new destiny? And I'm like, nobody uses that. That's, that's not language. That's Christianese jargon. Christianese is a language that some believers use and leverage in non-defined terms. There's no definition of those terms that cause you to appear to have a greater spirituality than the other person. I've heard that kind of jargon. I'm like, so you're walking in this new season toward this new destiny in the anointing. Like, how did God reveal that to you? And this dude looked and said, it's in the supernatural. <laughs> I'm like, why... Would we make it difficult for a lost person because we choose to use this Christianese jargon, which is self-righteous, artificial, and generic, and they're just wanting to meet Jesus. They're wanting to know who Jesus is. And so churches oftentimes become so cute, and it's like, but you're making it difficult. And why is it that we mix grace with law and make it difficult? And I've shared in the past, but my first introduction as a 13-year-old dude, if you were to stand before God today and God should say, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you tell him? I was scared. Taylor, I was over there just nervous going, dying? I've never thought about dying and standing before God, and I don't even know what this means. What does it mean to stand before God? I had no view of God, and I don't even think I'll stand before him. I think I'll be so far on my face just crying out, going, unworthy. But I was throwing that question, like, what are you going to do? And God is this cosmic sheriff, and he's going to send you to hell if you don't get the question right. Bam, that was my image. I'll pray a prayer, dude. That frying does not seem like where I want to go. So I go to that church with that dude. And my buddy, Tommy, was telling me a similar story here today. But I went to that church, and after I got to that church, you know what they said? If you're going to walk with Jesus, you've got to get a haircut. That's what they told me. You can't have hair touching your ears and none on your collar. I'm like, wow. Every picture I'd ever seen of Jesus. He looked like he was playing bass with ZZ Top, okay? <laughs> and he looked like he just got back from Paris Island, okay? And I'm looking going, got to get a haircut? Gotta get, you you got to get your haircut. If you're going to follow Jesus, you can't go to movies. Oh, really? Television's of the devil. You can't listen to that music you've been listening to. That's Steve Miller and Eagles and Sticks and Doobie Brothers. You got to throw it away. Because if you play it backwards, it's devil music. I was told that. You know what I was told? Hey, if you're going to follow Jesus, you got to use the KJV 1611. Got to go. 
you're going to follow Jesus, you've got to go get you a tie. You've got to wear a tie to sh- church. Can I tell you that my first introduction made it difficult? Listen to this, Don. My buddy Tommy was telling me this story. He said, that church I grew up in was much like the one you were describing. He told me this after service. I thought, wow. He said, there was a dude in our church that was going to church one evening. He's driving down the road. This dude, man, just long hair, wore out kind of ragged clothes. He's like, this dude's got like a bag with him, man. He's just walking down the road. And he said, my friend stops and he goes, hey, what's up? You need a ride? He goes, yeah, I need a ride. Gets in the car. He goes, uh, where are you going? He goes, I don't know. He goes, why, where are you going? He goes, I'm going to church. You want to go with me? He goes, yeah, dude, I'll go to church. Guy goes in, hears the gospel that night. Long hair, ragged out clothes. Here's the gospel. He said the dude starts weeping. I want Jesus. He said he walks the aisle. He prays and asks Christ to save him. He said while they were there praying and doing whatever, he said the dude walks back over to his seat, grabs his bag, reaches down in his bag, and he's got a bunch of dope and pills, and he comes walking forward, and he just lays it on the altar. He said the next week that dude came back and the pastor looked and he said, hey, if you're going to come to this church, you need to get a haircut. And Tommy told me, he said, I never saw that guy in church again. You, you, you see, churches have become like with all these add-ons that you've got to do and be a part of if you're going to follow Jesus. And can I tell you something? It has destroyed many of us over the years. It's like, I don't want to make it difficult for visitors who've heard that God is doing a work here to to come here and to find our people are not sincere and they're not loving and they're not caring. I'm like, that's not going to work. If God's doing a work here, he should be unlocking us, and we should be repenting of sin and getting relationships right. I, I, I don't want to make it difficult for lost people who come here because we've allowed political views to take priority over the gospel. Do you know that I have people over the last few years that have bolted and left this fellowship because they're like, you're not political enough? I'm I'm not joking. I I don't want to make it difficult for people to come into this church who are really seeking God and emphasize that your sin is worse than my sin. Do you hear me? I've been a part of cultures and church cultures where they were quick to attack the sin that they felt least likely to participate in. I had people tell me years ago, man, you gotta, you got to love the sinner, but hate the sin. Let me spin it for you. What do you say we love the sinner and hate our sin? How, how would that live out? I'm loving the sinner, but I'm hating their sin. Why don't you hate your sin? Why don't you keep a posture of humility of how wretched you are? I need the gospel. I don't want to make it difficult because slander and ripping people and gossip and all that stuff is like, that's permitted. No, it's not. 
that. I don't want to do that. We have a message of life and death. The gospel is a message of life and death. And we cannot allow anything to stand in the way of the gospel. That's the argument taking place here, Nick. We're not going to let anything get in the way of the gospel. And the ones who were demanding circumcision claimed we're saved. And they, they believed Jesus. But they started in grace and went back to the law and started drifting back into, I'm saved by trusting Christ, but I stay saved by performing. Man, that will absolutely crush you. Paul writes an entire letter that we call the book of Galatians to this group. Hey, man, you guys started so well. Who hindered you from running the race? You've fallen from grace. You've gotten back into this performance law-based stuff. Do, do you not realize the deeds of the flesh is this, but the fruit of the Spirit? Get back over here into the grace of the gospel. That's the, If anybody stumbles, you who are spiritual, restore him. That's all in Galatians. Hey, man, you started in grace, but you went back to the law. It's like, man, it's so easy to become law-thinking. Hey, you got to do all this if you're going to really love God. And circumcision is not one of those big debates in the church today, but we got our own stuff like, hey man, if you do this, God is like really going to bless you, but if you don't, you pagan. And most of the things that we emphasize are not bad things. It's like, hey, did you get into the word today? But how we present that statement can be guilt or shame or love. Hey, hey, are, are you serving? Are you worshiping? Are you giving? Are you involved in missions? Are you sharing your faith with people that you meet? Th th those can be spiritual disciplines, but if they're presented in the wrong way, even good things can replace God things, and we lose our, our intimacy with Jesus. I, I mean, I wrote this down, and Rick, this is so what we talk about. When you meet people, it's like, well, what are you doing? I'm, I'm really trying to be a student of Jesus. So I would just ask this question eliminating all this. Hey, hey, how's your friendship with Jesus? How's your friendship with Jesus growing? Hey, hey, are you learning to trust the Lord more and more every day? How's your friendship, Heather, with Jesus? It's getting better. I'm starting to believe he's for me. I've lived in guilt and shame and all this pain for so long, and my friendship with Jesus is getting stronger. And you know, my friendship with Jesus, he, he's led me to, to want to read the word and want to pray and want to give and want to serve. And it's not that I'm doing all this stuff so that he likes me. He likes me and loves me, so I'm doing all these things. I've seen three things over the last 30 plus years absolutely annihilate churches and cause churches to deteriorate and die. Churches start to move from a passion for outsiders to just pacifying insiders. When we lose a passion for outsiders to infiltrate the lives of people that are distant and disconnected with God, and our, our focus becomes just pacifying those inside, that, that's bad. When we move from law to grace, meaning this passion for Christ that we used to have, and now it's become just 
I perform and pose. I know the lingo. I know the jargon. I show up. I go through the motions. That's not friendship with Jesus. And another thing is, is when you start to see churches lose the focus, it's like, Tara, the only thing that matters is this internal surrender of your heart, but you'll see the shift go to external behavior. And once that starts to happen, you're going to see deterioration. Here's what I know from personal experience. Okay? I know this. I know that I encountered people way back before I surrendered my heart to Jesus, and Jesus became like my friend, my Savior, that walked with me every day. I know way back I tried to change external things, thinking that it could move from the outside to the inside of my heart, and it never worked. I'm, 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 I'm going to quit cussing. And then back to sailor bill that that didn't work well i'm going to quit doing this and i'm going to quit doing but I always tried to do it in my own power and strength and when the lord got a hold of my heart he started to change me from the inside to the out hey you remember guys used to get hammered all the time and when he got my heart he got what was in my hand and I had people trying to take what was in my hand out of my hand. And it wasn't a hand issue. It was a heart issue. No way. When he got my heart, it's like he got my tongue. He used to use all these F-bombs and all this other brutal language. And God goes, hey, hey, since I have your heart, can I get your tongue and your words? Yeah, you, you got my heart. You can have it because... The heart is the center of all of it, right? It's like, man, hey, we're going out, dude, running these bars again tonight. When God got my heart, he got my feet on where they would travel. He got my eyes. Remember, this lust stuff that was inside of you drove you. Yes! And God goes, hey, since I got your heart, can I have your eyes? Yeah, you can have my eyes. And when God gets our hearts from the inside, it starts to change what we do on the outside. But religion will always start on the outside. Here it is. Jesus has done everything we need for us to be saved. Because of his life and because of his death and because of his resurrection, we can experience hope and joy and peace and salvation and purpose because of Jesus. Because of Jesus, I have a new identity. What's your identity? Holy and blameless. God calls me a saint. That's your identity? Because of Jesus and the resurrection, my future is secure. You believe that you're going to overcome death through Christ? Yeah. You believe to be absent from this body is going to be present with the Lord one day? Yeah. The gospel declares that you are righteous the moment you ask Christ to take over your life. What are you? I'm righteous. The gospel declares that you are righteous. God says, I declare you righteous. The, the word in Scripture is the word justified. It means to be declared righteous that guy say years ago the word justified means just if i'd never sinned i was like 
That's cool, but guess what? It's stronger than that. It's just that you have already sinned, and he declares you righteous anyway. There you go. What made you righteous? Christ. Did your works make you righteous? No, I was saved unto good works. I want to walk in these works of God, these spiritual disciplines and things, because I'm saved. But they don't make me saved. You see, the gospel of Jesus Christ cries out, it is finished. <laughs> it is finished. Everything the Father requires for you to be brought back into a right relationship with God, it is finished. I've accomplished it. You know, you know, you know what the gospel does not declare? Hey, go fix yourself. The gospel does not declare, I've done my part, now you go do yours. It is finished. Jesus has defeated death, hell, and the grave. His resurrection, he's seated at the right hand of the Father. He declares to make intercession. He, he sits there to make intercession for us every day. And I'm just leaning into this going, man, we talk about this, but the gospel should transform how we think about everything. The gospel of Jesus Christ should give us such a biblical, accurate worldview that we go, God loves that person. The gospel should change us in such a way that we do not make it difficult for lost people to come to Christ because we emphasize secondary issues as being superior. It's not superior. It's not. We're called to live full of grace and truth. That's what's being fought for here, not law and behavior. I love what Gandhi said. Gandhi said, I like your Christ, but I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. And I believe that would be the testimony for some. It's like, your Jesus I don't have a problem with but you don't reflect Jesus and you don't love your neighbor and you don't love people and you don't take care of the, the widows and the orphans. I mean, what's the gospel? The gospel is God loves us. God made us in his image, has redeemed us with his blood, and he desires to fill us with the presence of his Holy Spirit. God goes, I love you. I, I, I made you. And, and not only did I make you, but when you went off the, the rails, I paid the way for you to get back right with me and what I did on the cross, I'll tell you, it, it, it's, it's sufficient, it's enough, it is finished. He goes, hey, all I want to do is I want to champion your life and show you what life can look like if you really trust me to be in control of it. You tried running it your own way. And I can tell you, it doesn't matter how lost you are, how jacked up you may feel your life is, the echoing message of heaven is, hey, I love you. I love you. And the, and the gospel is not, hey, go, go work on yourself for a while and fix yourself and clean it up and then come to me. The gospel is, oh, come to me and let me clean you up. Just, just come to me. And I pray that each and every one of us in this room would get this accurate understanding of who God is and get this 
accurate view of what the gospel is, and it would not be Jesus plus all these add-ons. It would be Jesus plus nothing. I've come to faith. The Holy Spirit's living inside of me. I just want to honor God. I want to love people. I, I want to share the good news of hope with every, every person I meet because it can radically change who we are. And I'm not going to write you off because you jack it up. I'm, I, I love you. Here's my close. Here's some principal observations from Acts 15. Recognize that disagreements, even in the church, will always exist. Even, I love these dudes, but like if Rick and Dustin and Nick and I are sitting there talking through things, can I tell you something? We don't dot every I and cross every T the same. And these dudes love me way too much to be yes people for me, and they disagree with me. If you're sitting there having honest, real, hard conversations, and there's not disagreements, that implies that one person is not thinking or one person is living in fear. If we really love each other, they're like, I don't agree with that. I'm like, all right. And some of my greatest growth is sitting there just airing it out with these guys. I mean, my head has probably got big knots on it from banging against Dustin's. I ain't going to lie to you. No. I, I, I don't think we should do that. And I'm like, why not? But we, we love each other. And it's like, let's talk through this because we're, I mean, really our heart is what's right and it's not, I got to be right. It's like, okay, what would best honor God? Do not allow secondary issues to replace the main thing, which is the gospel. Again, not what is right versus the need to be right. Second thing, please hear me on this one. Do not write people off who disagree with you. Don't take them off your prayer list. <laughs> I ain't praying with them no more. Really? We're all in process. I can take the first row right here and go, Sandra's in process, Don's in process, Karen's in process. We're all in process. Guess what that means? Tassel has not been turned. We're all struggling and we all need space and grace. Who needs space and grace the most? Noah, Rachel, Marley, who needs it the most? We all do. Pastor, I'm coming to you for help. I was about to come to you for help because I'm still trying to figure this thing out. Three, understand that differences do not have to destroy love. I'm telling you, I heard Swindoll say this years ago, maybe he was quoting somebody else, but he said, in the essentials, unity. In the non-essentials, liberty. But in all things, extend love. Hey, in the essentials? No, brother, not bending there. In the non-essentials, extend some liberty and grace. Here's another one. It doesn't apply. At this point, it does not apply to anybody in here. Maybe somebody online needs to hear this. Resist the need to always take sides. <laughs> Some of you sitting here, you go, I always felt like I need to take a side. Where am I going to take a side on this mask or no mask or vaccine versus no vaccine or political or... And you guys know as well as I do, some of the social justice issues that are 
out there right now, it's like, how are we going to work through this? I need help. All of us do. Sometimes we have to be firm, but even then, we can still showcase love and grace. Here's the last point. Stay focused on the gospel. It's Jesus plus nothing. Refuse any add-ons. Refuse to take anything away from the sufficiency of Jesus and his cross. I can tell you, as I dove into Acts 15, I'm like, this is a heavy chapter right here. This is a major, major chapter right here because some of us, Don, we grew up with all of those imposed restrictions of if you're going to follow Jesus. And I had a friend tell me years ago, he goes, rules without relationship will always promote rebellion. 